Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and and when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught His disciples. The disciples asked that Jesus would teach them how to pray. I find that interesting. Had they never prayed before? Wasn't prayer a part of Jewish life? Why did they ask this question? Teach us to pray. And the response that Jesus gave them was one of utter simplicity. He said, say this. And he gave them the model prayer. Now we say this prayer every week in our liturgy. And probably every other Presbyterian congregation at least in our denomination, also recites the Our Father. We ordinarily call it the Lord's Prayer, but probably as many of you have figured out, I I have a hard time keeping in step with the crowd, and I can't call it the Lord's Prayer, um, because the only recorded prayer that we have of Jesus is in John chapter 17, and that is, to me, the Lord's Prayer. I call this the Our Father. It is the model prayer, and that's why he gave it as a model for the disciples to be able to follow in this process of learning how to pray. We all learn it in some fashion. We learn it at home, as our mother or dad or both pray for us and with us when we're little children. Uh, When we go to church, each church has a different style of praying. And what I have discovered over the years is that style is what each person in that congregation will carry with them. And if they are called on at a gathering outside the church, they're going to pray the way they ordinarily do in that church. And each church is different. But for the sake of clarity, I call it the Our Father, which is also a common term, so I'm not too far off base. It's a model for us to follow. Now, there's nothing wrong with repeating its words as we have them recorded, but we should not miss the fact that it is a model that we can derive understanding. Now one of the main objections we had coming in through the charismatic renewal, the charismatic Pentecostal thing, one of the main objections we had against mainline denominations or religion was its dependence on what we called rote repetition. You know, having everything printed out in the bulletin, for instance. Somehow we found that to be against the leading of the Holy Spirit. We often use the verse from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7, where he said, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. It was the, quote, vain repetitions that we had a problem with. That's what we found offensive. Now, we didn't really know what vain repetition was, but It was bad, and we were pretty sure that's what y'all did. 
Of course, what I soon observed was that even in those camps, there was plenty of repetition. There's repetition on how to do things. So we are obviously not immune to that sort of thing as human beings. So the first thing we can learn from this verse and the model prayer is that lengthiness is not a guarantee of being heard. Long-winded prayers are the bane of many independent congregations. And I have been in places where when a certain one is called on to pray, you can hear people groan. That just having that person pray is, oh. But that's not to say, though, that long prayers are wrong. Look at this verse. In these days, he, being Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. I believe that would be called a long prayer. All night long. Now, do you think Jesus was talking the entire time? The Bible never says one way or the other. Okay? So anything we say is speculation. But I tend to think that there was also some silent time during a whole night of prayer. So I ask, do you ever consider that aspect of prayer? Quiet, not speaking, but remaining in prayer? Is it possible that Jesus was quietly listening? Have you ever done that? And if so, for how long? How long can we sit still and quiet without making a sound and in prayer. I would have my middle school students place their heads face down on their desk and I'd tell them we're going to find out how long a minute is. When you are used to constant activity, one minute of stillness feels like a death sentence. Fortunately, I had some of those kids for three years and by the end of their third year, they had gained some understanding of the exercise, but it was still a challenge. It's a challenge for us in today's society to be absolutely still and quiet for a minute. So what I'm asking you to understand is that prayer includes more than just our talking. Too often... That's all we understand about prayer. And that gives the, uh, the common caricature about prayer some reality. Hey God, it's me. Here's my list. Thanks. Bye. Too often that's the model prayer that we've been given. And if that is the case, then there's no wonder why our prayers are not answered. Sometimes prayer is more than simply talking. There can also be the aspect of waiting. As Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31 says, They that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How long can we wait? How long is too long? At what point does our patience wear thin? We've become so accustomed to, Insta, I call it Insta-Quick McDonald's, 
that we're impatient if we end up with a rookie at the checkout line who has, has to hunt and peck on the cash register, making us wait. Maybe you recall the early days of computing when you had to wait forever just for the thing to warm up and come alive. Interminably long. Then with the internet, things got a little faster, but if there was a glitch and it took a little longer than we expected, we could just as easily hurl the thing out the window in our frustration. Our patience has been severely truncated with our modern rush-rush society, and I don't think anyone is immune to it. Regardless of our age, we may still find ourselves becoming impatient when time seems to drag on. But it's a good thing that Moses was not around in our day. In Exodus, we find that the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there. The King James says, be there. That I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. Moses was told to go up and wait because God was about to do something fantastic. How exciting! God's going to give me a book that he wrote himself. I can hardly wait. Uh oh. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called out to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Fortunately, one of the things Moses had learned on his self-imposed exile 40 years on the backside of the desert, he learned some patience. He had to wait a full six days for the Lord to show up with that book that he had promised him. What about Abraham? Remembering the story of Abraham, when he was still childless, God promised that he would be the father of many nations. Abraham only had to wait 25 years for Isaac to be born to get that thing started. From the time of the promise to the time Isaac was born was 25 years. In February of 1988, I asked the Lord to once again allow me to pastor a church. Now, like Abraham with Hagar, I tried to make the promise happen. My efforts, though, yielded little. Then in October of 2019, I received a call to this church, and I wasn't looking. In fact, my story is that just six weeks prior to that, I had laid that thing aside. I'd found it one more time in the margin of my Bible, and I said, okay, God, it's not going to happen. I'm done. I don't ever have to pastor a church again. Six weeks later, I get the call, and here I be. But don't think that I had any great patience, because I didn't. In fact, I even walked away from serving God in any area, any fashion at all, for a number of years. My point, though, the point I'm trying to make is along the lines of what Peter tells us about the Lord's promises. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you. Peter's alluding to the fact that we are the only ones who have a sense of time, not God. 
As he wrote in the verse just before that, Peter says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. What's he saying? He's saying here that with God, time, as in duration, a span of time, is out the window. God doesn't have that concept of time. He dwells in the eternal now. Okay, so it may appear that all this is a sidetrack about prayer, but it's a necessary sidetrack as we consider what we should know about prayer, how we pray, and the answers that we expect. We need to know that on our end, we may need to have some patience concerning prayer. Patience in the actual praying, spending time in quiet, and patience for the answer to our prayer to come. So I want to close this morning with just a very brief outline of the model prayer that we began with, the Our Father. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. There's the point of address. To whom are you speaking? There's the recognition that he is above us, both in location and in stature. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven where you dwell. This is the first request. It is an acknowledgement that God's will is your supreme thought. Before we get to our personal requests, we should be acknowledging it's God's will that we're concerned about. Remember how Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Then we begin our requests for our own needs. Give us our daily requirements for living. This recognizes God as the source of all our benefits, including the ability to work, the ability to hold down a job, the ability to earn the money necessary to provide for our food and our clothes and our shelter, the way that we operate in our society. We ask for our needs recognizing that God is the source of provision. Then we're led into our spiritual needs and requests. Forgive our slips, mistakes, and failures the same way we forgive other people their slips, mistakes, and failures. Do we ever really think about that? In our prayer this morning, we said, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, as we forgive our debtors. Other versions is, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do we consider what's really being said there? We can be kind of like the Pharisee and the publican. Lord God, forgive me of all my sins. In the same way that I, yeah. In the same way that I forgive, Lord, forgive me. In the same way that I hold a grudge, God, please don't hold a grudge against me. Have you ever thought about it in that light? 
Interestingly, this is the only part of the model prayer that Jesus explained. He said, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's kind of heavy duty. It's almost a downer when you think about it. He's actually emphasizing the golden rule of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And in that forgiveness aspect, he's not saying forgive only those who trespass against you. Forgive others their trespasses. Unqualified. That's a tough one. We could preach a few weeks just on that aspect alone from the Scripture. But Jesus puts a different light on it by saying that what you do to others, God will do to you. That's something to think about. The spiritual side of requests is then continued with, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us. Lord, please keep me out of trouble. I like that line in a country song where the guy hears his little boy say a four-letter word. And he says, where'd you learn to talk like that? Well, Daddy, I've been listening to you. Aren't you proud of me? And he goes off into the barn and he says, Lord, Help me to help my stupid self. God, Lord, keep me from temptation. Keep me from trouble because I'm probably going to blow it. The prayer then concludes with a statement of faith. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It's not mine. It's not mine to do. It's not my kingdom. It's not my power. It's not my glory. It's not my abilities. It's not my anything, God. Without you, I am nothing. It is all yours. In short, the model prayer begins with praise, moves into requests, and ends with praise. Those three elements are the things that Jesus taught the disciples to include as they were learning how to pray. Now, this is only the beginning lesson for the disciples and for us on prayer. There's much more. And we'll try to give attention to that in the future. But for this morning, let's join together once again, in saying this prayer, thinking about maybe one aspect that's been said this morning, as we recite the model prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand and sing together hymn number five.